Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, everybody, here we go. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains, and there he is. There ain't no hoss like the Tennessee stud. What's going on, Ron Fuller? Oh, geez, man. Uh, nothing. Uh, uh, beautiful day out today. Uh, a little cold, but uh, still uh, still nice. Um, and uh, just a happy man up to be here in the mountains, and it's uh, still beautiful. Uh, missing the leaves a little bit. They're all gone. But uh, that's uh, so uh, such is life, I guess. Right, Dave? <laughs> So how, how how much raking are you doing, Ron? I do none, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I, can't, I can't believe that. So you're not raking? Yeah, I do, I do none of it, my man. <laughs> Good you know, you. I, I, just, I just let them fall where they may. And, uh, you know, I uh, figure uh, I, I'm going to let Mother Nature deal with yeah, them. Yeah, that's good thinking right there. All right, let's do this thing. You know, the Studcast, I got to tell you, they're still getting better and better, and we're getting near Thanksgiving of 77 as as we're telling these stories with all kinds of angles. New talent, crowd still at near all-time record levels. I think I heard a couple of names toward the end of the last studcast that might be in this one. It kind of got my attention, stud, so what do you say on that? Well, you know, uh, we, we're like you say, man, we're in a great time frame here for Southeastern wrestling. Uh, things are really good. Uh, the card on this stud cast on this particular one is absolutely loaded, man. And I think you may be referring to a couple of those names that you heard, uh, you know, uh, might be Mr. Wrestling number two, uh, versus, uh, the huge Korean sensation pack song, man. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and just to show how good things were and how strong the company's talent was, uh, this one is a real testament. This is going to be a, the third match on a seven-match card, Wrestling 2 versus Pack Song. I mean, this is a main event anywhere in the world. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so the next studcast uh, is going to feature the first-ever Southeastern uh Thanksgiving night event in the Coliseum, man. So, I mean, we have really, really gone through a great growing phase in 1977. And, wow, we're uh, we're still kicking some butt, doing really, really good business uh, in, in the fall of 77. Hey, I tell you what, it's amazing to me how these cards and the stud cast that describe them are blowing up 44 years later. The excitement that you had then is kind of still there today, especially from those of us who really dig that old school wrestling. So, all, I mean, to me, the whole thing is just really cool. So how Southeastern Rewind is doing the same thing today on YouTube, I think that's pretty awesome, too. It's And it's really on fire. So, Stud, I mean, how do you explain it all? Well, man, uh, you know, uh, I think wrestling fans all over the world uh, are not happy with today's product, man. And uh, old school has kind of become the uh, more popular than present-day wrestling, uh, undoubtedly. 
you know, it seems like that to me. And these stud cats describing what was happening in 1977, gosh, they're just as popular now, if not more popular than today's wrestling. You know, I mean, fans want to want to hear about this stuff, and they want to see these programs. And and when new wrestling fans discover these, uh, they almost instantly know uh, more about business uh, that was truly for, flourishing 40 years ago as compared to today. They 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 can't believe what they're seeing is. Uh, and when they compare it to today's wrestling, it's it's really a it's not much of a comparison. So southeastern Knoxville is a great ex example, man, of old school, uh, especially since it was considered to be the best small territory in the world about this time frame. That, you know, basically that, that's why the new YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind, is focused on the beginning of Continental Championship Wrestling in 1985 and USA Wrestling in 1988. A great example is recently released Continental TV show number five. Uh, and it introduced Europe's sensation, man, a guy that was just a m huge star in Europe and in all, a lot of countries around the world. Uh, exotic Adrian Street yeah. shows up in Southeastern, man. Uh, <laughs> it shows up in Continental. Uh, you know, so new wrestling fans, uh, you know, they, they're going to be blown away, uh, as, you know, uh, as, they, as they were in uh, 1985, you know. Uh, a lot of these new fans, they're going to get their first look at something totally, totally new back in the back in another time frame, man. These TV shows are way ahead of their time. These continental shows, these USA shows mm -hmm. um, and continental TV number six, that's going to soon be released. And uh, it has a cutting edge stars in this sucker like uh, the Lord Humongous and uh, Exotic Adrian Streets, obviously going to be in number six of uh, mm -hmm. worldwide stars. Like Bob Armstrong, Austin Idol, the Riches, uh, their opponents, the guys they're wrestling against, the Riches, the Nightmares, the Stud Stable with myself uh, included, the Flame, Jimmy Golden, uh, Mr. Class. Uh, there were great junior heavyweight champions on these shows like Bill Ash and Scott Armstrong and many more. So, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, USA TV show number 16 it kind of moves fans three years later into 1988. Things have changed a little bit. Uh, Bob Armstrong has become the bullet by the time USA shows are on. And, uh, and then this particular one, number 16, he's going to be getting into it with Abdullah the Butcher, which is not a guy you want to get into it with. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a pretty big dude, and, uh, you know, and he likes to he, – he don't like to play fair, man. So, uh, you know – uh, we're going to see that in the USA's TV show number 16. It's up there on Southeastern Rewind. And, uh, you know, uh, you got the uh, legendary Ron Wright in these USA shows. Uh, you've got the Mongolian Stomper that he manages. You've got the dog. You've got the world junior champion Nelson Royal, who's uh, in quite a few of these. You got Tennessee champion Buddy Landell, who's having all these problems with, with guys like uh, Wendell Cooley. Uh, you got Hector Guerrero, who's a from one of the most famous uh, families in all of wrestling. Uh, he's he's in this USA programs. Uh, superstar Bill Dundee, RPMs, the Party Boys, uh, guys, World's Strongest Man, Doug Furness. It just goes on and on. There's a lot happening <laughs> in these shows on Southeastern Rewind. Oh, and see, to me, that's exactly why people are finding these hidden old school treasures and really enjoying them immensely. So two new USA and continental TV shows added every week, plus a new stud cast released every Wednesday and my favorite, the stud stories. So tell us about your two new stud stories that you add every week. What's up lately? Well, it gives me the opportunity, man. Uh, I love these stud stories too, man, because it gives me the opportunity to reveal the tremendous history of our sport, man. Uh, and, you know, and, uh, and I'm kind of looking at it from the eyes of the oldest and largest wrestling family that that's lived this uh, for a hundred years, you know. So uh, my, my stud story number three last week, uh, it was about the first time WWF, uh, which was uh, Vince Jr.'s uh, operation, uh, brought their stars to Birmingham. Uh, and with the intention of uh, shutting us down, basically, with Continental. And what happened that night? And uh, 
And that, that one, this uh, number three, stud story number three, has really captured the fans' attention, man. Uh, a lot of great comments, and uh, people really enjoy it. Uh, stud story number four, it's out there now, and uh, and it's it's a series. It's part of a series I've been doing about uh, my 11 matches with NWA World Champions in yep. my career. Yeah. And uh, this one features the only Canadian ever to be an NWA World Champion, Gene Kaninsky. Yeah. And for old fans and new ones, this is this is all pure wrestling history, man. Hey, I got to tell you, for old school wrestling fans, there is no better place on YouTube than Southeastern Rewind to get this kind of history. It's going up on a regular basis, as we've been saying. For new fans searching for what real wrestling looked like, this is a great place to start, especially since this channel is just beginning to show this history. It's all on there now, and it's going to keep getting bigger. Subscribe now, ring the bell, and we'll ring your bell every time something new is released on Southeastern Rewind. All right, so where are we riding to today, Stud? Well, today's training is going to take us, man, to St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, you know, it had been three weeks uh, since I lost that kind of the one-sided loser-leave Southeastern match against a Mongolian stomper. Uh, I got Don Carson involved in it, and the assassin got involved in it. And, uh, you know, so I was basically, man, uh, at this point, I I'm a wrestler out of work, you know. So uh, so I had to I had to do something, and, uh, and I got in touch with uh, St. Louis uh, because it had been a year since I'd been there. And uh, and I, I I hooked up some matches. They they, they booked me, uh, you know, and uh, they were happy to have me. They hadn't seen me there in a while, and uh, I was looking forward to going back. And I was going to be there for five matches in one month, uh, in the home of the National Wrestling Alliance, right there in old Sam Mutchik's backyard. And we're going to learn about uh, in this today's training. We're going to learn about the unique style of St. Louis promoting. One of the greatest wrestling cities in the world, and it was done totally different than everywhere else, just about in the world. So, and then we're going to talk about another world title card in Knoxville, and uh, that is really loaded, as I said in the beginning, and it's the focus on this studcast. Uh, wrestlers literally from all over the world, all over the world, filled this card, man. And uh, we're going to talk about the TV show that promoted it. And uh, that's a particularly strong one because it's in the November rating period. I'm jamming, jamming the championship matches in there. And uh, we're going to give everyone the results of the matches and the attendance in the Coliseum. And we've got a great learning tree question uh, that's uh, perfect for this studcast. And the listener asked, uh, was the World Junior Heavyweight Championship controlled by the NWA or Sam Muchnick, or was it more of a regional title? Okay, so that sounds like another great one, Stud. So are we are we headed to St. Louis first today? Yep, yep, we, we certainly are, man. And uh, <laughs> you know, and and, and uh, St. Louis uh, had, had a great place in my heart, man. Uh, uh, I hadn't worked in St. Louis at this point since Friday, January twenty first of nineteen seventy seven. So it's been almost a year since I have gone to St. Louis. And every trip to St. Louis for me was perfect for today's training session, you know. I'd learned maybe more working in St. Louis than any other territory or city uh, other than my own, you know. Obviously, I had to learn in Southeastern or I wasn't going to be in business very long. So, you know, in St. Louis, they had a very different way of doing things. And oddly enough, Dave, the last stud story, number four, on Southeastern Rewind now, about the NWA world champion Gene Koniski, it's got a lot to do with St. Louis, Missouri as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of strange, but it does. Hmm. So, uh, so I've been going there off and on since 1973. Been working St. Louis uh, was like working no place else in the world. There was no city like it, and that was because of its owner and president of the NWA for many years, Sam Muchnick. Uh, he ran his city unlike any other that I ever wrestled in anywhere in the world. And I wrestled in quite a few cities in the world. So Sam didn't believe in angles. He didn't believe in blood. He didn't believe in return matches. Everything uh -huh. every other promoter around the world believed in, uh -huh. he didn't. Uh, 
yet somehow he managed to fill the huge Keel Auditorium more nights than not. Wow. I don't, so hang on. How do, so how does he get anything going without those three components that you mentioned? <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean, uh, <laughs> first of all, uh, he could have any wrestler he wanted to work in St. Louis. Uh, the very best talent in the world knew his name uh, and his reputation. They had heard of Sam Muchnick. They knew uh, that he was big time president of the National Wrestling Alliance. And if he were to call you up and ask you to come and would you be interested in wrestling in St. Louis? And if you turned him down, well, his opinion of you might have a big effect on your career. I mean, I mean he, I, was a, he was a big mm, time uh, name in professional wrestling. Okay. I mean, and you kind of laid a case for that, but still, why? I mean, he, he's that big everywhere. Well, because he was the president of the NWA and every promoter in the world and every wrestler in the world respected him. Uh, they wanted to make him happy. Uh, if you worked for him, you wanted to make him happy. If he said something bad about you, he didn't like the way you worked. He thought you uh, were lazy in the ring or, or you upset him in any way whatsoever. And he spoke negatively of you. Uh, it could follow you the rest of your career because people listen to him and they, mm. they uh, put a lot of a stock in his assessment of talent. So every card was filled from top to bottom with the biggest names in wrestling. Every time I went there, uh, I would get the lineup when I went into the dressing room. And, uh, and when I looked at the lineup, every time I ever wrestled in St. Louis, I was always blown away. It was always like a who's who of wrestling, you know. Uh, he didn't need to work angles. He didn't need to get blood. He, he didn't need to bring back the same two guys against each other on the next show. Uh, he had talent. Uh, and it was always amazed. I, and in my first year there, I was consistently amazed that, uh, that, that, that I began after about uh, five years of working there uh, to figure out why it happened that way. Why? I'm going to answer your question because simply because its fans had never seen the same routine as other cities and other territories. And that, that's hard to believe, but, uh, you know, and if this Booker had started giving fans angles and blood and return matches, well, the St. Louis fans would be as spoiled as other fans were. <laughs> they weren't spoiled, uh, you know, uh, and if they had seen that blood and if they had seen those angles and they had those re steady return matches, they would have wanted more. And uh, without it, it, it would have been harder to fill the building. So strange as it sounds, his building was full and all he was doing was having these great wrestlers come. So fans there had no idea what they were missing. And he kept it that way on purpose. Uh, there's there's no way that it would have worked except for the fact that every card was loaded with the greatest wrestlers in the world. He handpicked them from the territories all over the world, and all of them were so talented that they could stand the crowd up without having to do what they were accustomed to doing every night in their own territories. And they realized that when they went there and wrestled, you know, I remember asking uh, uh, Booker, uh, you know, about uh, – why, why don't we work a return match? Uh, why don't we get a little blood in this one? And uh, he would say, oh, gosh, no. There's no way that's going to happen here, you know? So what happened is I went there and I had the opportunity to work with some of the best talent in all of wrestling. And uh, on this particular trip, the one I'm talking about that I'm going to be making on this day, which is going to be the 18th of November, in uh, 1977, I'm, I'm making a trip to wrestle in St. Louis, and I'm going to be wrestling with the St. Louis Bookers. Uh, the St. Louis Booker is going to be my partner in a tag match, and he happens to be the former world champion, Pat O'Connor. And we're <laughs> going to wrestle against the great Bobby Duncan and the Lord Alfred Hayes, man. Wow. Two stars from Vern Gagne's AWA territory in Minnesota, two top guys out of Minnesota. And uh, they just came from all over the world to St. Louis. It was just the place to come. And if you had the opportunity, you were a fool not to go there and work. 
I don't know, Ron. I mean, if fans were aware you got to wrestle in great cities like this, and, and again, against some of the best that were out there, no doubt. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. So it had to make you a better wrestler, a better booker, a better promoter all the way through. Yeah, yeah, it, well, it did, man. I mean, how could it not, you know? And that and the fact I was extremely lucky to have been born into a wrestling family, man. You know, I had a grandfather that was standing right there beside Sam Muchnick and photos I saw on his wall in his office uh, the day they signed the the paperwork for the original members of the National Wrestling Alliance. My grandfather, Roy, was standing next to Sam Muchnick and uh, signing the same paperwork. My father had set all-time attendance records in four different states, man. I was truly blessed to have the opportunity to come from a wrestling family and to get these shots in St. Louis and being around the National Wrestling Alliance president and uh, and the man, Sam Muchnick. Yeah, I think blessed is the right word. It sure seems like you were. So, all right, where do we ride to next, Doug? Well, we're going to head into the Knoxville Coliseum, man, Friday night, November 18, 1977. And this card is, it was truly an international event. You know, I say sometimes, well, it's kind of like an international, you know, got a couple of guys or whatever. On this particular card, Dave, on November the 18th, 1977, there's seven wrestlers were from outside America. One was from Great Britain. Two of them were from Canada one from Ireland, one from Korea, one from Australia, and one from Japan. <laughs> Same card. I mean, wow. I mean, I don't, I doubt that happened anywhere in the country uh, that year that you had that many guys from outside the country. And it was in little old Southeastern wrestling, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, first match on that card was the Australian Bill Dundee against the Japanese uh, Tojo Yamamoto. Uh, Roy Lee Welch faced the pro, Doug Gilbert, in the second match. Third match, I mentioned it earlier, Mr. Wrestling number two versus Pac Song, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, third match out wow. of seven matches. Yeah. Then the Southeastern Tag Championship match, Ricky Gibson and Irish Pat Barrett, another fantastic star from Europe, faced the champions, Don Carson and the Assassin. They were managed by Ron Wright. Uh, and then there's a return match for the Southeastern Championship with Ricky Gibson handcuffed to gorgeous George Jr. And my brother is going to be wrestling stomper for the Southeastern Championship. And uh, there's old Ricky going to be handcuffed to gorgeous George. Uh, and then there's a special <laughs> no time limit match between Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. Because they had wrestled to an hour draw the week before. So this one has no time limit. And then the main event on this particular night was a no time limit world junior heavyweight championship match between Tony Charles and the champion Nelson Royal. The last time they had met about five weeks earlier, uh, they had wrestled to an hour draw. So this one has no time limit in either. The last two matches have no time limits in them. That's true. That tells you right there. It's a great card because uh, you got those matches that go through. Uh, <laughs> those are phenomenal matches. That's a fantastic card, Stud. So tell us about the TV Saturday, November 12th, only six days before this card. Well, this one opens with less running down the TV card, as usual. And it has two big championship matches on TV because this is in the rating period. It's November. The World Junior title. Uh, one of those is a World Junior Championship match with Nelson Royal defending against Irish Pat Barrett in a 15-minute time limit match. And uh, then there's a Southeastern TV Trophy Championship match that's going to close out the show. And uh, when the camera's backed away from Les for the big uh, set, you know, uh, still shot that we always had, uh, there was Tony Charles uh, holding Nelson Royal in that torture rack hold from a few weeks ago that uh, we had the picture of uh, that's, uh, you know, and, uh, and it was from the last world title match of back, like I said, about five weeks earlier, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Nelson Royal is sitting there with less. Uh, 
you know, and uh, Les was kind of upset. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks back, uh, Nelson was there. I think when he was there to defend this title five weeks earlier, he was really nasty to Les. And uh, Les got very upset. So, uh, you know, Nelson, this is Nelson. He's back now five weeks later. He's sitting there with Les. Uh, and uh, Les is still upset about the way Royal had treated him weeks earlier on the show. So mm -hmm. Royal was not accustomed to being on our television show. And he wasn't accustomed to how we did things. And he didn't know where the TV monitors were. So, so that he was not able to see what the fans were actually seeing. And uh, so as, as soon as the fans got a look at that big set behind Les and him, he's sitting there with Les, uh, they got that shot of Tony Charles, he's got Nelson Royal all bent backward, man, in that uh, torture rack hole. And uh, the fans just started laughing. You know, it was like, whoa, God, yeah, we remember this, right? So, you know, when they started laughing, you know, uh, like I said, Roy wasn't familiar with where everything was located and what they were laughing at. So he didn't know what was on the screen behind him and that. You know, so he asked Les, you know, he, he was very, very insulting right off the bat. He says, what's wrong with these crazy hillbillies, man? What are they laughing at? You know? <laughs> So Les yeah. just pointed, you know, they're both on camera. Les just pointed in front of him there, and they, he, he said, like the monitor. He pointed to the monitor in front of him, right? Right. So Royal <laughs> looked at the monitor, and then he sees what everybody else sees, and he realizes that behind them is this huge picture of him getting the hell stretched out of him. <laughs> He's like, oh, so, so he, he wasn't happy about it right off the bat. And he, he screamed at Les, you know, and he said, get that off the screen. What are you doing here? You know, and uh, so that just opened the door for the studio crowd to really get on him at this point, you know, and they started then to boo him, right? You know, and uh, <laughs> so he, he was really getting more angry with Les, you know, asking Les, uh, you know, why did you show that? You know, you got, why would you show that? You know, and then uh, and then he blurted out, man, he goes, you know, do you realize I'm the world champion? He goes, and and I had to, I agreed to come here and defend my belt on TV today, and, and I'm going to do that in just a few minutes. And then he says, uh, you know, why am I being humiliated like this? <laughs> Where's my respect? Show me some respect, right? So, so Les is, Les is getting what he wanted. And he kind of just smirked a little bit. And the camera caught it. He kind of smiled at him. Like, oh, well, too bad. You know, and uh, boy, he was, he was, he, Les was really getting even over that tongue lashing that he'd taken from Royal the last time he was on the show. So Les asked the director and, uh, to roll it. You know, you got that still shot. So uh, so then Royal went ballistic, man, because as soon as they started to roll it, it showed him, man, squirming around trying to get out of the torture rack hole, and he was slobbering, man. He was slobbering down his face. <laughs> he was fighting to get out of it, right? So he screamed. Nelson screamed. Now he couldn't take control of the show. He screamed for the director, stop that video right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and then he says uh, something about, you know, I, I'm a world champion and, and I'm not going to be humiliated like this anymore, you know. So he was supposed to be wrestling in the first match. So he just jumped up from the set. And he went straight to the ring with his belt. And, uh, boy, he was he was mad. <laughs> he, he was pretty angry when he left the set. So let's let him go, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, he said something, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sorry about that short piece of video, uh, and I'm sorry it upset the champion there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, condescending, I guess is a good word for it. So and, uh, and then Roy, once he got to the ring, he jumped in the ring and he started screaming at the audience, right? You know, because they'd been booing him and they were giving him, they were, he, they were trying to humiliate him. And then, uh, and he, he was just really ranting and raving at him until he saw who his opponent was. He didn't know who he was going to be wrestling. And so, you know, 
And when he turned around and looked, uh, <laughs> Irish Pat Barrett was coming in the studio. He's going to be wrestling a guy just as tough as Tony Charles on television for his belt. Right? So, so Nelson jumped out of the ring. He, he, and Barrett went and gone, went on, got in the ring, but Nelson got out of the ring and he came back over to the set. <laughs> he started screaming again at Les, you know, and he says, uh, that's that's Pat Barrett. He goes, he goes, that's not an ordinary TV guy. He goes, <laughs> he goes yeah. I didn't come here to wrestle him for my belt on television. He's, <laughs> he's the former junior heavyweight European champion. He goes, he's one of the best damn junior heavyweights in the world. <laughs> yeah, where's my jobber? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was expecting my jobber, right? So, you know, Les simply responded that uh, they were announcing. He said, Les says, well, do you know, uh, they, they, they're they announcing you now. And he goes, they've already announced Barrett. He said, I think you should return to the ring. <laughs> so, yeah. So Royal started <laughs> screaming at Les again, you know, saying that he, he was not supposed to wrestle on TV with this caliber of opponent. You know, nobody told me this was going to be my guy, that I was going to wrestle him. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the bell rang to start to match, right? And he's still out there, good, good. He's still out there screaming at less, you know. So the referee started counting, <laughs> so, and the fans were loving it, man. They were loving how Roy was all tore up about this, and so uh, they joined in with the referee. They were all counting five, six, seven. So Roy figured out that, hey, if I don't get in the ring, I'm going to lose my belt. So he had to go run, slide into the ring, and uh, gosh, so, you know, so then uh, this wasn't bad enough for Royal. He's about to start. He's got to wrestle Pat Barrett. And he looks over, and guess who appears on the set with Les? Uh-uh. Tony Charles. Oh, whatever. Come on. <laughs> yeah. so, so Royal, Royal gets back out of the ring again, and he, and he heads over to the set, screaming to Les again about, what's he doing out here, right? And, uh, and the, the studio started booing him like crazy, and uh, Pat Barrett just cowed out of the ring, came, grabbed him from behind the back of the neck and his trunks and shot him up into the ring, and they, they went at it. Wow. Rogue was having a bad day. I'll say. <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. So the short time limit, you only had a 15-minute time limit, uh, but that's pretty long for a TV match. And the short time limit started running out toward the end of the match, and uh, Barrett was getting closer, man, every minute. Uh, as the, the minutes counted down, man, to, to get in the pin. And Roy kept having to kick out, man, at all these finishing moves and all these crazy throws that Barrett was doing on him. And the studio crowd, they were electric, man. They, they said, we're going to see a new world champion here on television. And there was about two minutes left. And, uh, you know, so the bell rang and uh, just in time to, to save Nelson Royal's butt. And, uh, in fact, Pat Barrett, when the bell rung, had the exact same hold on him that Tony Charles had on him in the opening video. <laughs> he had him in the torture rack, and the time ran out. So Nelson was just absolutely livid by the time he got back and ready for the first interview. And uh, he was with Les at the set, and Tony Charles was in Studio B, and he took Pat Barrett in there with him. And <laughs> just to really rub it into Royal, I guess. And, uh, you know, Baird had been the wrestler that just about beat Royal right then. So they were both having a big laugh about how frustrated Royal was at this point. You know, and, and, and then uh, Tony Charles made some kind of remark about if Royal didn't get control of himself, he goes, he's going to be, be easier for me to beat next Friday night <laughs> for the world title. So Nelson Ritz went crazy. <laughs> he finally got his chance. He threatened man right off the bat. He says, I'm not going to defend the title Friday night. I'm not going to do what I promised I was going to do. And, uh, you know, after what Southeastern wrestling's done to me today, you know, he says, uh, I, I'm, I'm retracting my defense of the championship. 
And then he kind of realized, you know, what that's going to do to his reputation if he if he went through with that and he mm -hmm. reversed course. Mm -hmm. And he promised that he's not only going to beat Tony Charles, he said, I'm going to humiliate him the following Friday night uh, like I've been humiliated today on television. Mm -hmm. And then he finally turned to Les. And he said something about knowing Les was behind all this. And he said, you better watch your back. <laughs> so, so the studio crowd, they loved every bit of the first match and the interviews, man. So uh, uh, shows off to a pretty good start. So the second segment of the show was exactly opposite for the studio crowd. They'd had their big fun in the first one, but second segment, Ron Wright, Don Carson, and the Assassin, they joined Les at the set, and they watched the end of the TV tag match from the week before. And I don't know if you remember, but those that uh, you heard the last studcast, uh, they watched Ron Wright leave the set when the referee got knocked down. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wright came into the ring and he pulled out his chisel and he hit Roy Lee Welch in the forehead with it and he hit Joe LaDuke in the back of his head with it and cut them both. And uh, then he put Don Carson, the assassin, on top of him and, uh, and he left the ring and uh, the result basically was the theft of the Southeastern Tag Championship. Yeah. Uh, courtesy of Ron Wright. Yep. Nobody had expected it. Ron Wright had not been on in, in months. And uh, it was just a wow. Uh, so, and then they had a big laugh. They watched it and then they all three laughed about it. And, uh, and uh, they demand less than to show what happened the night before, you know? And, and then they showed what when they defended their newly won belts against the same two guys the night before. And uh, parts of that match was shown until they reached a point, and I don't know if fans remember in the last stud cast, where Joel Duke said he's taking his axe to the ring <laughs> next week. Well, that was the match they're watching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so parts of the match uh, they had showed, and then uh, Joel Duke, uh, man of his word, uh, he had his axe and he got his axe and uh, he had brought it to the ring. And when he got, he went, he got really upset and went to the corner and he got the axe. All three of them went to the dressing room. I mean, he couldn't hardly blame him. So Ron Wright, he complained to the Southeastern officials right then about the danger of an idiot like Joe LaDuke bringing an axe to, to the ring. That's what he said on TV too. He says, you know, he's an idiot. I mean, what's he going to do with that axe, man? You know, and he, he said, I, I demanded. He said, as soon as we got back to the dressing room, I demanded that night, right after the match, that the officials ban Jonah Duke from the building next Friday. Don't even let him in next Friday night. And uh, so <laughs> then uh, Les told him uh, that, uh, that the demand, and uh, then they made another demand that, that they would refuse to wrestle uh, Jonah Duke and Roy Lee Welch ever again for the Southeastern belts because Joe LaDuke was an idiot. And, uh, and, uh, and they, they, they said, Les said, okay, the Southeastern agrees with you. They banned Joe LaDuke from Friday night. He's not on the card. And, uh, you know, and they also uh, are going to uh, accept the ban that you asked for uh, not to have to defend the titles against them because they agree with you. It's a very dangerous precedent when you bring an ax to ringside you know, and uh, that could really get somebody hurt uh, horribly. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's been a pretty decent show so far, and it's been kind of crazy. So the studio crowd, <laughs> they got upset by the band of Joel Duke. He got banned for next Friday. Him and Roy will never get another tag match, tag title match. And uh, they got very upset. And uh, But uh, they weren't nearly as much uh, upset as, as they were after their opponents got the hell beat out of them in that match. Ron yeah. Wright, uh, at the end of the match, he took his team to the ring, and he sat in the corner. But at the end of the match, when uh, there was no apparent reason, uh, you know, his guys, Carson and uh, the Assassin, uh, were just uh, dominating the other two guys, Ron Wright pulled out his chisel, and he had to pop both those guys. You know, <laughs> so they went back to the set for the second interview and the studio man wouldn't let up on Ron Wright, man. Uh, he's bragging about what he, what he was going to 
what was going to happen to the team next week that they were wrestling, Ricky Gibson and Pat Barrett, and uh, that they had a championship match with them next Friday night. And he brought his chisel out and got a little close-up. You know, he says, hey, I want to show you what I got here, you know. And he says, look, uh, this fresh blood on it. Right? Uh, uh, <laughs> From these two guys. I mean, he's really going way overboard. <laughs> so, yeah. so Gibson and Barrett, man, uh, they had the opportunity to tell their side of the story from Studio B. But, wow, this was a really dangerous trio, man, that was developing here with Ron Wright, uh, Don Carson, and the assassin. <laughs> I mean, and, uh, just the beginning of their rampage, man. I mean, come on, Ron. This, this Ron Wright chisel thing is really dangerous. Uh, who wants who wants to automatically be cut knowing that he's going to be in the ring? So, I mean, surely they were going to stop this thing. So, but so maybe you can answer that after we. Hey, good place to take a break. Let's do that. Maybe you can come up with an answer for that as to how they stop it. And remember, by the way, while we're getting ready for the break, find Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe, ring the bell to get reminders on when the greatest stories in wrestling will be dropped on YouTube and we'll ring your bell to let you know. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. Okay, so the chisel thing. Let's address that after the break. It's coming up on this Studcast. If there's a stud fan on your Christmas list this season, you can make them really happy. You know, a real Tennessee stud fan. All you have to do is visit the stud store at tnstud.com. All items are shipped free. Find autographed 8x10 photos, only $15 each. T-shirts in black and blue, $23.99 to $25.99. Classic old school continental DVD 5-packs, 68 matches, over 12 hours of history only $39.99 official Tennessee stud mask $40 plus Ron's best-selling thriller Brutus a man-eating lion loose in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park $19.99 for the book only $29.99 and it's autographed and free delivery order today and get it before Christmas at tnstud.com tnstud.com click on stud store hey welcome back another stud cast david summers with the tennessee stud ron fuller okay before we go on stud what about this ron wright chisel thing was that going to continue i mean it, it was kind of his trademark up to this point well you know uh obviously absolutely not you know but because one of the reasons is not many wrestlers are going to agree to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's not going to happen too much, right? And, right. And uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, after 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 what Southeastern did, uh, because Joe Duke brought that axe to the ring and uh, maybe threatened those guys with it, uh, and uh, they banned him, and then they they said to him and Roy Lee, "We're never going to get a championship match with those guys again. An opportunity to win their belts back." Uh, you know, it makes Southeastern look pretty stupid, you know, if they didn't do something to these guys, <laughs> of what they're doing. So, uh, yeah. and besides that, these guys had such heat, man. Their heat was off the charts after what they'd done, man, to Bob Armstrong, what they did to me, I mean, what they'd done to, uh, to Joe the Duke and Roy Lee, uh, yeah. and these, these guys today with the chisels again, I mean, uh, Wow, their heat was unbelievable. They didn't need they didn't need to chisel anybody much anymore. You know they yeah. they had what they needed. Oh, and to be such a fan favorite as Ron Wright was for so long, and if you wanted to turn him and go with immediate heat, he started using that chisel here, there, and everywhere. So he he definitely he definitely left his mark in more ways than one. Okay, so what was on the personality profile? Where does that lead? Okay, so, you know, that, that wild angle, man, that, that we've had here now, uh, we had the split up of Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. and one of the greatest tag teams in Southeastern history. Uh, that wild angle between these two, man, uh, uh, you know, let's, let's watch uh, sit there with uh, Mr. Knoxville, uh, Ronnie Garvin, actually sit down on the set with Les, and uh, let's watch some of the bloody one-hour time limit draw with Mr. Knoxville uh, on the profile set. 
and he got some comments. So, you know, the, this was basically one of their first times, their first time, I believe, as a matter of fact, to wrestle against each other. And wow, what a nasty affair it had. Went to one hour time limit, uh, both of them bleeding for half of the match. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, then he, they cut away to the pre-recorded comments that Bob Warden Jr. earlier in the day had come into the studio and he made his comments. They put those into the profile, made a great profile. Uh, Ronnie Garvin, Mr. Knoxville, got a chance to say what he thought. Uh, Bob Warden Jr. got a chance to say what he thought. Uh, fans got to see some of that one-hour draw match, uh, which was just absolutely phenomenal. And uh, this angle was going to continue for a long time, man. And it was going to involve uh, many different types of matches. And every one of those matches were going to be fantastic. Uh, these two young, great talents, man, at this point, and they're both young at this point in 1977, uh, they're going to become an integral part of every card, every night, and every match they have is going to help build wrestling in the Southeast. Uh, it's a, it's amazing what they did. So the next live match would fulfill well one of my hopes. Uh, that we're up to the third match. Profile is over, and this next one it kind of fulfilled one of my hopes and dreams uh, from back in the early days uh, when I was wrestling in Florida, long before I became a promoter. But I always just dreamed about having an opportunity to use this particular guy. Uh, that's going to be wrestling in this third match on the show. And he had been the main heel in, uh, in turning Dusty Rhodes babyface in Florida when I was a Florida champion in 1974. <clears throat> I had the opportunity to get him for one night, and he would work one TV for me. And I couldn't resist uh, taking him, obviously. And I wanted to put him on TV. I'd always dreamed of doing something like this, sticking somebody out there that fans had never seen before and just uh, really shaking them up. So I couldn't resist it, man. I booked my great friend, man, who was a great guy. Uh, he certainly didn't look it, though. Gosh, he was horrible looking. Uh, the Korean giant, man, Pak Song, is going <laughs> to be in this third event, um, the live event. <clears throat> and at the same time, I had an opening for Mr. Wrestling number two, Johnny Walker, on the same night, on the same card. So rather than stick those guys against different opponents, I, I just had to book, man, uh, book what I thought was and what was a main event anywhere in the world, Mr. Wrestling number two, against Pac Song. <laughs> so these two I put against each other. So mm. when Pac Song comes in the studio, <laughs> He freaked out the studio audience, man. I mean, he was his size, his appearance. He had this extremely long and gigantic head, man. And, uh, and, and I love to hear the crowd when someone <laughs> they had never seen, man, scared the hell out of them. <laughs> and that's what happened. Song went out there and, I mean, he scared the hell out of all of them just walking and getting in the ring. And then he destroyed his opponent, man. And uh, and then uh, after it was over, you know, he usually didn't talk. Uh, you know, he'd, he'd always had a manager uh, put Ron Wright with him. And Ron Wright went and spoke for him in the interview spot. Mm -hmm. And Ron made a big deal about, hey, this is just one of the guys I'm testing out here, man. I may, I may go, I think I'm going to take this guy. Right? So, <laughs> so it's looking bad for all the baby faces. Could be man. a keeper. Yeah. yeah. So, uh -huh. so uh, Mr. Wrestling number two on this particular interview, Wright spoke on the behalf of uh, Pac Song and Mr. Wrestling two sent this rare interview from Georgia where he was a top babyface. He was the top babyface for many years in Georgia. There was no bigger star than Wrestling 2. And uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 is going to make a rare appearance, and Pac Song is going to be making his one and only ever Southeastern appearance. So their match six days later, man, I knew was going to be a classic. So the first, uh, the last TV match, was for the Southeastern TV trophy and uh, that the Stomper had won for me three weeks earlier when I lost not only that trophy, but I lost my spot in Southeastern because I, I got beat for the loser leaves match. Mm -hmm. So uh, Stomper's defending 
my TV title, my former TV title. Now he's got the TV and the Southeastern title. He's defending my, the TV trophy and the Southeastern TV championship against my brother, Robert. And uh, their match was great, man. For a TV match, you know, I, uh, I got to see it. I was actually home. I got to see this match. And, um, and I saw Gorgeous George Jr., he got involved at the end of it. But so did Ricky Gibson, who was going to be handcuffed to Gorgeous George Jr. the next Friday night. And uh, Robert had a shot at the Southeastern title the next Friday night. So the studio was on fire, man. Uh, Rob had the stomper reeling, man. Stomper finally stopped him. And Gigi at ringside, man, he picked his spot. He jumped up on the apron to try to draw the referee because he finished. He figured that the stomper was going to be able to finish my brother off at this point. And he wanted to let the stomper have all the opportunity to do anything illegally he wanted to because uh, this is your chance, really, basically. So, uh, and instead of that happening for GG, Ricky Gibson happened to be standing in the studio over in the corner watching the match. And as soon as he saw GG jump up and draw the referee, he went right straight to the ring. He climbed up on the top rope uh, behind the referee's back. Gigi could see what was going on, but the referee was facing Gigi, and he had his back to, to uh, Ricky Gibson standing on the top rope, and uh, so did the stomper have his back turned. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gigi made a mistake. He, he should have jumped off the apron, and all he'd had to do is jumped off the apron and pointed to the ref, look what's over there. Uh, but he didn't. He stayed up on the apron, and the ref stayed with him, trying to get rid of him. And uh, that kept the ref, obviously, from seeing Gibson at all. And uh, meantime, Gibson, boy, he just flew off that top rope. He dropped, kicked the stomper in the back. It sent the stomper face first into the turnbuckles on the other corner. And uh, then Ricky slid right out of the ring and right out of sight, left the studio. Hmm. Uh, Robert covered the stomper. The referee finally escaped Gigi's grasp. And then he just stepped in the ring and counted the stomper out. So, and the studio crowd exploded, you know, and I'm sure lots of living rooms uh, across the southeast, man, uh, they exploded too, man. So uh, Gibson returned to the ring with Rob, and they had a victory celebration. They had a big old TV trophy, and uh, Stomper and Gigi, Stomper and Gigi was really having an argument on the floor, face to face. One oh. of the rare deals like that where Stomper was really in Gigi's face. Hmm. And the interviews, were obviously made then by all four, uh, and they were talking about the chances now that the Stomper might lose his Southeastern title uh, next Friday, and he'd have none of those titles. So, and, uh, and, it, and it was especially likely because Ricky Gibson was going to be handcuffed to Gigi the following Friday night. <laughs> all right, so this, this TV really kind of had it all, Ron. So what, what happened the following Friday then? Well, I, as I said earlier in the stud, the stud cast, I, I was in St. Louis, but Rob and I had plenty of time to sit and discuss during the week before I left what came next and uh, before I flew out of town. So, so, and then once I got back uh, from St. Louis, uh, the, two days later, uh, he kind of came over and sat down and they brought me up uh, to date on what had happened. And this is the best I can you know, remember of what he said. I, I know he said Bill Dundee beat, beat Tojo Yamamoto. And Roy Lee Welch got a, a win over the pro, which is a big win for Roy Lee Welch. Uh, and he had been wrestling the pro when he first got there. He couldn't beat him, and now he's improved enough. He's beating guys he couldn't beat. Uh, and then Rob said Mr. Wrestling 2 and Pac Song basically tore the house down. He said, wrestling two got a win over the big Korean. And they, he said, the big Korean said to tell me hi and that he was happily headed home to Korea. He'd been years in the States. <laughs> so, uh, and then Don Carson and the assassins successfully defended their Southeastern tag championship. Uh, Ron Wright opened Ricky Gibson with his chisel during the match. And then, uh, Gibson might have been cut bad, but it didn't keep him from going back out there and being handcuffed to gorgeous George Jr. Uh, in the next match in which Rob had the chance to win the Southeastern title. And in that title match, Rob said the stomper uh, kept his belt, but um, he didn't get any help from Gigi 
because Gibson, man, got the flailing GG with one arm, man, because he'd get handcuffed to him. I guess GG tried to do something, and Gibson started working on poor GG. And uh, and about that time, uh, our friendly tag team showed up, man, Carson and the Assassin, and and they started on Gibson. And then uh, Rob went to help Gibson, left the ring. The referee counted Rob out. And uh, Rob lost the opportunity to win the Southeastern Championship, but uh, but he he helped save Ricky, which he should have done. And uh, so this uh, no time the no time limit match uh, after the one hour draw from the week before between Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orr Jr. That match was next, and boy, it was another wild one. Uh, Bob said they were bleeding, man, both of them again, and they left the ring. That they fought basically all over the Coliseum. He said uh, second referee went down, the th and he sent the third referee down. He said they fought until three referees finally get them separated enough to get the, get the fight over. So the next Thursday night was going to be Thanksgiving night, and uh, the first ever Thursday night wrestling event in the Coliseum. Uh, we're going to put those two guys, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., back in the ring together again in the first ever no disqualification match. And uh, me and Rob talked about it. Uh, we're going to make it uh, the fall can count anywhere in the building. You can, if you can pin him in the balcony, you get the win. Wow. So, you know, we're going to let them fight in the building basically hmm. and uh, let them even pick, have a winner uh, as fighting in the building. So in the main event, for this particular night, still the World Junior Heavyweight Championship match, Tony Charles won uh, when he, you know, Nelson Royal hit the referee on purpose to get himself disqualified. <laughs> he, he was about to lose, and he knew it, and he says, you know, uh, I can save my title by uh, getting disqualified, and that's exactly what he did. Wow. Well, I mean, obviously another great one, Ron. So how'd you do on attendance? That had to be big. Well, last week, I remember uh, it was 5,300. Uh, this time, uh, Rob said that it was 5,500. Uh, then we had this upcoming Thanksgiving night uh, uh, on, on the following Thursday. And uh, I really felt like, and, and Rob, both of us felt like that we had a possibility of setting a new all-time record for the Coliseum on this Thanksgiving night. Wow, that's that's pretty awesome. So, Stud, from here, let's go to that learning tree question. And Todd Flynn asked, was the World Junior Heavyweight Championship controlled by the NWA, Sam Muchnick, or more of a regional title? Well, that was a great question right there, Todd, especially since this stud cast had a World Junior Championship match in it, man, uh, you know. And, and I'm not a historian about the world junior title, uh, but but I did do a little research trying to find out for myself, uh, you know, a little bit more how it worked. I know how Royals title worked, and we'll get to that in a minute. So, uh, you know, there really isn't much historically on this until about 1945. And uh, there's a guy, a wrestler named Ken Fenelon that I'd never heard was the uh, crowned the first world junior champion. Uh, and, and, uh, and I know there was a world junior champion in the South, uh, especially in the state of Tennessee, uh, mm -hmm. Mississippi, Alabama, uh, in my grandfather's territory, because my grandfather's brother, Roy, uh, Roy's brother, Herb, was the world junior heavyweight champion uh, in the South in the early 1940s wow. for five years. Uh, he was unbeaten for five years, and he had to give up the belt when he got hurt in a car accident. So, uh, obviously, Todd, it, it was, in that case, a regional title. So, uh, now, 1948 saw the formation of the National Wrestling Alliance, and uh, they finally recognized a world junior champion as well as a world heavyweight champion. Uh, some of the earlier champions' names that stood out to me uh, before, I'm talking about before 1948, uh, that uh, were uh, were ju world junior champions uh, were Leroy McGurk. And uh, Leroy McGurk, uh, 
ended up uh, in a car wreck, uh, kind of like her, but he was blinded in his car wreck. Oh. And, and he ended up uh, the owner of the Oklahoma Territory. Uh, uh, great stories about Leroy. Leroy was a tremendous wrestler. And, uh, and he could tell, I heard guys say that he could listen to a match and tell you more about what they were doing than guys that had eyes. Wow. <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, he was the old Oklahoma territory owner, Vern Gagne, held that NWA uh, world title. Uh, and he's going to be a future territory owner, the American Wrestling Association, the AWH, a owner. So the first unanimously recognized, though, a world junior heavyweight champion was Danny Hodge. And uh, there's a reason for that. Danny Hodge may have been the greatest wrestler in the history of wrestling, period, you know. And, uh, and when he became the world junior champion, it unified all other champions. <laughs> in other words, none of them really wanted to, to, get, <laughs> to say, I'm a champion too, and look uh, at Danny Hodge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it basically made one world champion, uh, you know, the NWA world champion was Danny Hodge. And uh, after he had his run and he suffered a, another car wreck story, terrible here, but that really was happening a lot back in those days. Uh, Danny Hodge was champion until he suffered a car wreck and broke his neck. And, uh, and mm. some other um, recognizable winner names, Man, uh, that uh, I saw on this list of guys that had been the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, I got to mention some of these because uh, uh, the, the first one right off the bat is uh, Hiro Matsuda, who is just as was just as tough as uh, Danny Hodge, and uh, you know, and 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 it, those two guys loved each other because they were in a world of their own. Uh, Hiro Matsuda, Sputnik Monroe. Oh, yeah. Was, at one time, NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion. Pat Barrett, who is on this in this stud cast, uh, was at one time the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion. Nelson Royal, also in this stud cast. He won it in 1976, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Jerry Stubbs won the NWA World Junior Championship in 1981. Hector Guerrero, who's in all of these USA wrestling shows uh, that are on Southeastern Rewind now, uh, was NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Mm -hmm. And Scott Armstrong won oh, wow. that title from, uh, from Nelson Royal in 1988. Wow. Uh, while they were while they were wrestling in USA, that title changed hands in USA wrestling uh, that's on Southeastern Rewind. So uh, there's a, just some names there that I thought, uh, you know, to, since uh, since a gentleman asked about it, uh, that uh, he might be. Uh, uh, he was kind of I was just kind of blown away by some of these guys. I really didn't know that some of them had ever been the champion. And, and I believe this t title was was controlled more from the Oklahoma Territory, Leroy McGurk, than anywhere else in the early days. Uh, I know Nelson Royal did his own booking, and I know Nelson was always paid for every event by the promoter. And I don't believe that the NWA nor Sam Mudstick ever handled any booking for this title. So uh, it's a great question, Mr. Flint. And uh, thank you for asking it. And it gives all our listeners today a little more insight into the World Junior Heavyweight Championship history. Oh, history. Absolutely. If you like it old school, that's what you do best. Uh, great show today, as always. Man, fantastic. Okay, folks on Facebook, become friends with the stud on his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, or author Ron Fuller Welch page. Simply like and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch on Twitter. Get on board the hottest YouTube old school wrestling channel, Southeastern Rewind. Subscribe today. Enjoy great USA, Continental, and Southeastern TV shows from the 1980s in the order that they were produced. 
current stud cast, historic stud stories, and so much more. Get your Christmas gifts. Do that as soon as possible from the stud store this year. TNstud.com. Click on stud store. TNstud.com. Click on stud store. Some great gifts that have real meaning for wrestling fans, especially old school fans. Autograph photos, t-shirts, Tennessee stud mask, a great Continental DVD five pack with 62 matches, 12 hours of classic video action at your fingertips. Ron's brilliant Brutus novel, autographed, and much more, tnstud.com. Hey, they've even got t-shirts in black and blue and in different sizes. Click on stud store to find out more. All right, stud, that's a lot. You're staying busy, and it's obvious. So where do we ride next week? Well, we got another great today's training, man. Uh, that's going to get us started off next week. And uh, and then we're going to talk about the first Southeastern Thanksgiving night in the Knoxville Coliseum's history uh, and in Southeastern's history, actually. It had a tremendous card, obviously. Joe LaDuke is going to return to Southeastern after his one-week ban. And he is going to go up against his nemesis, man, the Mongolian Stomper. It'll be the first time these two have wrestled each other in more than three months, uh, basically since the uh, blockbusting incident. You know, they quit wrestling each other. We quit booking them together because their ma their matches were so bloody and violent. And uh, now we're going to go back with the Mongolian Stomper against uh, Joe LaDuke. Uh, Bob Wharton Jr. and Mr. Knoxville are going to be wrestling in that Falls Count Anywhere in the Coliseum match. Uh, Robert Fuller and Ricky Gibson are going to team up this time to face Carson in the Assassin, who came down and uh, kind of screwed Rob out of the opportunity to win the Southeastern belt. So uh, now it's going to be Rob and Gibson against Carson and Assassin in this uh, Thanksgiving night event. There's going to be a first ever World's Ladies Championship match in the Coliseum. The Fabulous Moolah against Joyce Grable. Uh, on this card is a mixed tag match uh, between men wrestlers with the Lady Midget Partners. You know, and uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's yeah. unusual. You yeah, know, the, that very few times you're going to see that. And uh, because it's Thanksgiving, there's a special challenge match that opens this card, and it's a hair versus hair match with my brother against a longtime enemy of his, a, guy, a kid named uh, Larry Cheatham. Cheatham. And, uh, Cheatham. And, uh, All right. You know, so we're going to open that card with a hair versus hair match. Uh, somebody's going to get their head shaved in the very first match of the night. So, uh, and, uh, you know, next week, got a great learning tree question again that comes from a recent Southeastern Rewind fan, uh, I think, probably. Uh, the question was, uh, what, what did you know about Adrian Street before you booked him in Southeastern, and who, if anyone, recommended him to you? So... I want to thank everybody, obviously, for your continued support. Uh, tell your friends about us. Uh, please take care of yourselves and others, and uh, may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.